Evening. How is everyone? Good. Are we awake? Yes. Excited? Yes. On holiday? Yes. Anyone on holiday? Anyone not on holiday? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, um, we're in the same boat then. I guess good. Um, I just wanted to start this evening by asking you, who here likes films? How's up if you like films? Good. I haven't been to the cinema in a while, so I'd really appreciate some good film recommendations at the end of the service, but also some encouraging comments from my sermon, which I'm about to give, so stay awake. Um, but what, um, what happens when I watch some films? I don't know if anyone else is in this category. There are some films that I watch, and I've watched them lots of times before, but I really wish that this time the ending was different. Does anyone else do that? You've seen a film hundreds of times, oh, that's embarrassing, because I'm, you know, and then you wish the boat didn't sink. going to sink, or that person doesn't die, or that person doesn't do that stupid thing, or that tragedy doesn't happen. And we kind of do that, don't we, a little bit. And when I was thinking about tonight and what I'm speaking on this evening, um, I kind of feel that way about this last week of Jesus' life that we're about to um, enter into and remember starting today. And I think that about um, what what happened in this story, I kind of think, well, why did Jesus have to enter Jerusalem in such an obvious way? Why? Why did Judas have to betray Jesus? Does anyone else feel that? Why did he do that? Idiot. Why did Pilate take the cowardly option and wash his hands and send Jesus off to be killed? Why did that happen? Why? And every time I hear the story, I'm like, oh no, why does it have to happen that way again? And it's silly, really, because we know this story, don't we? It's a story about Jesus who is so full of love and life and goodness and truth. And he is betrayed and tortured and crucified. And we keep coming back every year or more often, maybe, to this horrific act that we're about to remember in a few days' time committed by messed up humans and their messed up ways and their selfishness and their greed. And every time I hear that story, if you're like me, you're the same. You think, oh, if only, if only that hadn't happened, if only that had happened every time. And that's the story of the week we're about to enter into. But today it's Palm Sunday and we haven't quite got there. So we're going to read a little bit from Luke's Gospel. If you've got a Bible, then great. If you don't, there are some at the back. I'm sure the host team can give you one. If you put your hand up, they'll get you one. But it's on the screen as well. We're going to look at Luke 19, starting on verse 28. It's going to come up and I'll read it for us. Here we go. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They, they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen, I'm going to finish just there. Now, I don't know what you notice about this story, about reading it, hearing it. It might be familiar, might be unfamiliar to you. There are a couple of things that I notice about it. First thing, for those of you who are observant, did you notice that palms aren't mentioned in the Palm Sunday reading? There are no mention of palms in that reading. It talks about cloaks. So we'll wave our cloaks later in, in remembrance. If you've got a palm cross, that's great, but that's based on Matthew's account. So we'll ha you have to come back next year and hear Matthew's account of Palm Sunday. But it's actually only cloaks mentioned in this version. But there are other things that are going on that are quite strange, I think, or quite interesting. I think it is quite strange, isn't it, that Jesus knows that he is um, not liked very much by some people, and they are out to kill him. Yet he makes this public entrance into Jerusalem. Why? It's quite strange. And also, I, what, another thing I find quite strange in this scene is that there are crowds of people, aren't there? It talks about crowds of people lining the streets, people who are cheering Jesus on. And in a few days' time, where are those people? They're not there cheering Jesus on. They're either disappeared entirely or they're shouting something very different, aren't they? Just a few days later. Now, if this were a film, if this story was a film, Palm Sunday, this scene here, I think would be the bit when we start to think that something is about to kick off, right? There will be a sense of foreboding in the air as we get to um, this scene. It's about to reach its climax. There'll be some dramatic music in the background or something um, like that. And we would get this sense, if we were watching this as a film, that things aren't quite right it's not going to go the way that we'd hoped for at the beginning of the story. Because if we remember back to the beginning of the story, back to Christmas, remember then? It feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, it's a different story altogether. It felt very exciting, didn't it? There were angels and shepherds seeing a little baby. Everything was cute and lovely and exciting and joyful. And now here, everything seems a bit different, a bit precarious, a bit unsure. And I think what Luke is trying to do, if this was a film, he would be trying to show us time and time again in this story who Jesus really is. That's what he's doing. That's what he's trying to show us. And there's lots going on in this scene that we've got today that is still answering that question, who is Jesus? What is Jesus all about? And there's a few things I want to pull out of this scene to help answer that question. So the first thing I think Luke is trying to show us is that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one. That's who Jesus is. And that's been a theme throughout Luke's story of Jesus. Because if we remember back to Mary uh, being told she was going to have this baby, the shepherds, the angels, Mary's cousin, all of these people declared their faith, their excitement in the fact that God had sent his chosen one to 
deliver people from oppression and slavery and fear and all of those things. God had sent the chosen one, the Messiah. That's who Jesus was. And right at the beginning of the story, it's confirmed by these supernatural events. There are angels, there are bright lights, there's miraculous births and pregnancies and all of that. It's all making the same point. This is the chosen one, the Messiah. So that's the beginning. But Luke goes through his gospel, telling this story again and again that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus performs these miracles. No one else could restore the sight of a blind person. Jesus tells these stories with such wisdom, amazing teaching. Jesus fulfills prophecy that things were promised hundreds of years earlier about who the Messiah would be. Jesus seems to be meeting all of those um, things in what he says and does and who he is. And again, we get to Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And he fulfills another prophecy in the book of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was written 500 years or thereabouts before Jesus. And in that book, um, Zechariah prophesies the following. It's on the screen. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So just like at the beginning of the gospel, the, the story that Luke's telling, here again, we see God's promises to his people being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the promised one because here is the proof. He's meeting these prophecies. He's fulfilling them. And the shepherds, their response to that was to be full of joy, to be singing God's praises. And the crowd, with their cloaks or palms or whatever they had, they're the same. They're so excited. Here's the Messiah. He's going to free us from oppression. He's the one God promised to send us. Now, I don't know about you, but that scene in my mind's eye of loads of people really excited, joyful, here comes the Messiah. I want to be in that crowd. That seems like a good place to be, doesn't it? Seems a bit like a party. You know, you're celebrating. I'm so excited. I want to be part of this. I want to get caught up in the crowd. All my friends are there. It's a great place um, to be, and it's a real celebration. But I'm not sure where I'd be a few days later, if I'm honest. Jesus is getting flogged, and he's getting tortured, and he's getting crucified. And that hope that I had a few days earlier is reduced to a lifeless body on a cross on top of a rubbish dump. Where are you going to be then? And it makes me wonder, it's easy for us, isn't it, to follow Jesus when all of our friends are on the same page, in the same boat, when life is easy, when we know we're going to get something out of it. But how easy is it for us to follow Jesus when life is hard, when it doesn't look like we're getting anything out of it at all. And the question is, is Jesus still our Messiah in those situations too? I know that's a struggle that I have. I wonder if that's true for you. Maybe that's a challenge for you. Now, the second thing that Luke's description of this scene shows us about Jesus is that he is one who comes to bring peace comes to bring peace. And again, that's a theme that starts right at the beginning of Luke's story. 
Yeah? Do we remember that story when there are shepherds who uh, see the bright light of God's glory and angels say to them, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Now the shepherds and all of the people at the time, they needed peace. We need peace today. And that was promised. Jesus was going to be the one who was going to give real peace and not the kind they were used to. They were living under Roman peace which meant squash the opposition, eliminate um, different views. Everyone must think, act, and say, and do as we do. Otherwise, well, there's a threat of violence if you don't get on board. What kind of peace is that? Peace as long as you keep your mouth shut. That's not the peace that Jesus came uh, to bring. He was being described as the one who'll bring real peace that starts um, in the human heart, Peace that comes from really living rightly with God and with one another. That's who Jesus was promised to be. And if this were a film, this point where we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, the film would cut to the same day, the same city, but an entirely different procession. Because on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, there was another procession going on. It was the first day of the week of Passover. Now, Passover was a time when lots of Jewish people would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was a really, really important day. And getting lots of Jewish people in one place in a crowded city made the Romans a little bit concerned. So what they did is they sent their governor, they sent Pilate, into Jerusalem on the first day of the week with war horses, in, with all of his chariots. This is a photo. No, it's not. Um, with all of these chariots, with all of this, this pomp and ceremony and grandeur, right into the West Gate, the main entrance into Jerusalem. And the point was very, very clear. Don't mess with Rome. Do not mess with our authority you can see quite clearly what the consequences of um, getting in our way of a disobedience is going to be. We're making it clear. Be scared. That's the message that Pilate was sending by going into the West Gate of Jerusalem on the first day of Passover week. But in our scene, we've got Jesus, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, yeah, it's a bit of a different scene. A donkey represented peace in the ancient um, Near East. Jesus doesn't go in the main entrance, the West Gate. He comes down the Mount of Olives and into the back entrance, the East Gate. Yeah? The same time that Pilate's going in the other way. And he doesn't come with threats of violence. He comes with this promise of real peace. Peace that starts in our hearts and works its way out by the grace of God. Now, it's really striking, isn't it, these two processions going on side by side. They're so similar, but they're so entirely different at the same time. And it makes me ask the question, maybe this is a question for all of us, what kind of peace do we want? Which of these two versions of peace? Do we want the peace that comes with everyone agrees with us, and if they don't, they get destroyed or eliminated or droned out because peace can only happen on our terms and with our views um, being exerted. And we can do that. We can, we can think of that in terms of political persuasion. How do we feel about that? 
We can, we can have that attitude in terms of attitude towards Brexit, views on immigration, views on sexuality or gender. Do we want um, people just to go away with their different opinions and different views and want the peace that comes from everyone thinking and acting as we do? Or do we look to Jesus and the peace that he comes to bring? Peace that's a bit more difficult, actually, because it's a peace that welcomes people with their differences, values them, includes them. Peace that's much deeper than political peace because it goes right down to God saying to each one of us, you're loved, you're accepted, you're valued, you're okay, you're enough as you are. You really are deep in your soul. Know that peacefully within yourself, but also know that that person is as well. And I think the same about that person and that person and that person that you disagree with. That's the kind of peace that Jesus comes to bring. And the third thing um, about this scene is that unlike all the other leaders and kind of would-be, wannabe leaders of the day, Jesus comes in humility. And again, I'm drawing another analogy right back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. We had the shepherds, didn't we? Angels, shepherds. Shepherds run to meet Jesus. Where do they meet him? Not in a palace, in a manger. Right from the beginning of Jesus' life, he is choosing to identify with the outcast and the dispossessed and the poor. He's laid in a manger because there's no space for him anywhere else. It's a disgusting place to be. But that's where he is, right at the beginning. And again, Luke shows Jesus' humility uh, in this really clear way. He's on a donkey. He's on this donkey that's never been ridden. It's probably a donkey that's bending its knees. It's never done this. It doesn't know what it's doing. He might look a bit stupid riding on that donkey. Who knows? But the point is, he chooses this way of humility as he enters Jerusalem on that day. And that theme of humility is one that comes up time and time again, not just in Luke's gospel, but throughout the New Testament. Paul writes that famous passage, many of us will know it well, to the church in Philippi, describing Jesus. What does he say about who Jesus is? He says that Jesus, I think we've got these words um, on the slide. There we go. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took the nature of the servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' entry into Jerusalem shows us what God is like. God's not about strength, power, might. God's about coming lowly, humbly, to serve, to sacrifice. And that's his way of bringing salvation, of bringing healing, bringing restoration. And that is difficult for us to get our heads around, that God chooses the humble path. Jesus' own followers had, had real problems with this because they were arguing with each other. Jesus, when you come in glory, am I going to get to sit in the best seat, get the position of privilege? I've followed you, I've served you, I've been with you. Surely I'm going to get a great reward for it. And Jesus turns to them, doesn't he? And he says, if you want to come after me, you will take up your cross daily and follow me. Wow. 
The path of following Jesus looks like humility ending in a tragic death. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to take up our crosses. We have to choose the way of humility and lay down our pride, our ambition, our selfishness, our greed, and instead choose to be like him. And I don't know what that looks like for each one of us here this evening. I don't know what it means uh, for you to be humble because we live in a culture that does not value humility. It values being cutthroat, making your way to the top. Don't worry about trampling over people because you are important. You must not um, let other people put you down. Yeah? Climb the ladder. Reach your goal. The world is your oyster. All of those things. Jesus didn't do this, though. Jesus didn't act like that. Jesus didn't have to, actually, because he was okay with who he was. He knew who he was. He knew what he had to do. He knew what God thought of him. And that was his motivation for what he did. So he didn't need all of that accolade, all of that stuff that we need in order to feel okay about ourselves. And so Jesus was free to choose humility. And I wonder about us. Do we need all of that stuff? Or do we know that we're okay because God loves us and God values us? And are we able to choose humility too? Now, if this was a film, I'd really want to rewrite what happened after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. And I hate the fact, I've said this already, I hate the fact that every year I'm reminded of the pain and suffering he went through. And if I was in the cinema, I might well get up and leave at that point when we see him being crucified. Because I can't take it. It's really upsetting, isn't it? It really is. We're desensitized to it sometimes, but it's awful. I get up and walk out. And if I did that, I'd actually miss the real ending, wouldn't I? I'd miss, actually, God rewrites the story. God rewrites that ending because Jesus rises from the dead as a sign that God won't let suffering, greed, violence, pride, he won't let any of those things have the last word. He will have the last word in this story. And if God does that, if God rewrites the ending to this story, I wonder whether we are being asked to do something similar as well. Are we being asked to rewrite the story? Because we know that in our lives and the world around us, the story every day involves selfishness, pride, greed, violence. Are we being asked to rewrite that? Are we being asked to follow the way of Jesus, peace-bringing, humble, King Jesus. Because good films always leave us asking questions, don't they? Good films always provoke us to do something, to take action, to make a change. And how true is this of this Palm Sunday moment? Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem, well, it's not so triumphal, is it? Because actually, we should be filled with disgust and rage and anger at how this story is about to develop. We should come away thinking, no, not again. I refuse to let those things win. I refuse. I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something different. And I wonder, in Holy Week that we're about to enter into, I wonder whether we are being provoked to take action. Following Jesus, taking up our cross, what's it going to mean? What's it going to look like? Well, maybe it's going to look like refusing to let those things win 
and instead let God win because God's going to have the last word. He wants us to get involved, to follow the way of Jesus. I've said quite a lot this evening and I don't know what has affected you, what has touched you, what has resonated with you, what has you've reacted against, but I'm just going to give us a moment of quiet just to reflect on what it means to follow the way of our humble king. What does it mean for you? What is God stirring you to do this week, this month? What's going on? Just have a moment quiet, and then I'll lead us in a prayer.